0: GM stopped their electric car project. They weren't cool. In comes Tesla, who made the electric car a popular concept. But is the cool factor the biggest factor in electric car sales these days? Are electric cars actually better for the environment and do the majority of buyers really care? Brandon and Rich debate the subject and more in this edition of the Embedded Insiders. Later, the insiders are joined by Fried Blauberg, and esteemed professor of power electronics and drives at Aalborg University in Denmark. The three discuss the current state of the power industry and what the future looks like. Power will play a big role in the electric vehicle industry, but just how big?
1: Welcome to another edition of the Embedded Insiders. I'm Brandon Lewis, Editor-in-Chief of Embedded Computing Design, and I'm here with Rich Ness, who is, where are you going to be this time, Rich? We've had you be Darth Vader.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, this was a long week. We had our OSM Summit this week, where we normally gather the entire company in Scottsdale for a week of stuff but since we don't travel right now, we did it virtually. It was actually, I'm derailing the conversation, but this is this is sort of important. Um, we had everybody on a virtual call and it actually worked out really well. Um, I won't say my expectations were too low, but um, I was very pleasantly surprised at how well the virtual meeting was able to take place with everybody participating and everybody paying attention. Well,
1: if I'm going to give you a title, I guess then that means you're the czar of Zoom. But the, the, uh, I thought it went really well. You know, it's um, it's obviously different and it, there's a lot of benefit to being in the same physical space as your colleagues. Um, but, you know, given the circumstances, I don't think it could have gone much better.
2: Yeah. And in the next month or so, we'll roll out some of the ideas that we talked about to the audience because I think there's some really exciting stuff.
1: For sure. Speaking of exciting stuff, we had a story up on Embedded Computing Design that talked about the invention of uh, Tesla's Model S. And it was surprising that Tesla as a company started way, way back in the early, early 2000s. And it was actually started based on the fact that GM had killed an electric vehicle that they we're working on and part of the reason that that vehicle was killed is that nobody was buying them because if you remember back in the 90s and early 2000s and even still up until today a lot of electric vehicles looked like weird space nerdy cars and Tesla's- yeah but that
2: particular one that GM killed did not look like a weird nerdy car it was the Chevy Volt if i remember right and it looked like a regular car i i don't understand why it didn't sell
1: oh i think it looked weird I wouldn't have bought it.
2: But it might be, have something to do with the price tag. But
1: Tesla has made electric vehicles cool, um, which is really important. And the other important thing is, like you said, the cost. Over time, Tesla has tried to make cheaper and cheaper versions of its vehicles. And, you know, they haven't been completely successful, but on the whole, the affordability of electric vehicles has come down significantly, which is great for the environment because electric vehicles are so much cleaner than the alternative.
2: Well, they've made them cool. They also made them very well. That's a car that drives really nicely on the road. However, since I'm supposed to play devil's advocate here, if you chart out all this stuff, you actually use more natural resources to build an electric car than you burn in a regular gasoline-powered car. I'm sure you knew that.
1: Well, you know, the truth is that over the lifetime of an electric vehicle, it is still cleaner than an internal combustion based vehicle um, I, yes. I didn't
2: say, I, I didn't say not cleaner i said the cost of natural resources
1: the cost of natural resources to yes to support the battery that is definitely true that there's yep. no there's no disputing that whatsoever and actually the just the process of Harvesting that material is 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 very is very detrimental uh, to the environment. You're like twice as twice as bad um, as just producing uh, a normal vehicle. But when you factor in the savings that you get from the time that that thing hits the street to the time that it's you know, taken to the salvage yard, overall, with the production included, it is a, a cleaner
2: alternative. But the other un- unknown there is that there's not really any historical data because these automobiles haven't been around long enough to n- even know how long they're going to last. Uh, will there be a car, in, you know, one of these cars in 30 years? Will they still be on the road? You just have to swap out new batteries and it, and it runs fine. We don't know that. And with automobiles, you know, they've been around since, I don't know, about uh, 100 years or so. So there's plenty of historical data
1: an electric vehicle electric vehicles have been around for a long long time it's just that the major auto manufacturers have sort of killed them because it would have cost them a ton of money to to implement them but they had you're right they haven't been around in this in the scale to have significant worthwhile test data so it's going to be interesting over the next like five to ten years you know i think like half a million teslas have sold to this point or something like that Um, it's it's going to be interesting over the next 10 to 15 to 20 years to see how that plays out because you're point. You know, some of these power electronics, uh, the, the components, the batteries, etc., they are just by by default going to degrade over time. Their efficiency isn't going to be what it was, you know, in year 10, as in year 15 or year 20, right? So we'll see what happens. And then of course there's the other thing. What do you end up doing with all those lithium batteries, right?
2: And if you're a conspiracy theory guy, is it the oil companies that are putting the kibosh on the electric cars?
1: It is damn Halliburton.
2: <laughs> but, what can we do to make these cars better, Brandon?
1: That's a really interesting question. And I think a lot of it has to do with a big debate that's been going on in the power electronics industry for a while is these new materials that can be used. We've heard a lot about uh, gallium nitride and silicon carbide um, over the last few years. Actually, it's been more than a few years now, but they're really starting to fall into place. And in, become mature enough to be deployed and at large scale and in sort of general purpose applications. So hopefully those will tip the scales. It's really a, it's really a cool way to, to see how everything comes together um, when you start thinking about our space and what we cover in terms of you know, these components and how they could really end up making an impact on the environment and the cost of you and me buying cars in the next you know, five to 10 years, et cetera.
2: Before we get into the real design of these things, the other practical part of this is that who fixes these electric cars? Uh, You're not gonna go to Joe Mechanic anymore when you need a new, well, there is no carburetor, for example, and you know, a lot of the traditional parts just aren't there. I I guess you go back to the dealer to get it fixed, but you know, that's a (laughs) different problem.
1: Yeah, I think that that was one of the big things that Tesla struggled with early on and, and still does is that, you know, in order for somebody to get their Tesla service, they'd have to go back to Tesla. Um, there isn't that aftermarket, you know, of, of mechanics yet. There are some of them, but they're, they're not as widespread as like you said, your traditional Jiffy loop, right? You just go down and get the oil changed and have them take a look at your air filter. So that's gonna be something that over time is gonna have to expand just like, you know, the gas station pumps are gonna have to start supporting electricity and, and so on and so forth.
0: Now, the insiders are joined by Fried Blauberg, Professor of Power Electronics and Drives at Aalborg University in Denmark.
2: The power industry moves slowly. We had a little debate about why it moves slowly, though. Um, I think it has more, to, I won't say marketing issues, but less technical issue that um, power is mission critical in almost all the times that it's used um in in the car you know in high power places and if there were to be a failure people's lives are at stake and there's so for a a lot of good reasons it really has to work all the time every time and that's why i think that the power industry moves slower brandon seems to think it's more of a technology issue
1: so freddie you know silicon mosfets have been the you know the material, at least, du jour, for a long time now in the power industry. Do you think that some of the reasons that it's slower to move is that once you get onto a material, it really becomes limitations of that material, and that that, once you've selected that material and you've gotten the production and the scale to get that out into the market, that you're really just dealing with optimization at that point?
3: Yeah, I think that's right. If we discuss uh, the silicon technology, MOSFET technology for, for different applications, IGBT technology for more industrial applications and so on, you can see that the improvements are more incremental. And some of the main reasons are for sure that the investment you have to do in order to provide devices, components, and also systems that are used, and you want to pay off such kind of equipment and also uh, facilities you, you have investment in, that's a fair way to, to look at it.
1: So where do the wide band gaps fit in? You know, we've heard a lot over the last few years about silicon carbide and gallium nitride. How are they flipping this equation upside down? What do they offer that the you know, silicon MOSFETs don't?
3: The power electronics field, it has been known for decades that there was uh, possibilities to apply other materials than just uh, silicon for, for doing power devices. One of them is uh, silicon carbide, another one is gallium nitride, uh, which have much better uh, characteristic uh, in terms of doing the main thing uh, the power devices have to do, and uh, that are to turn on and turn off very fast in order to do, for example, switch mode uh, power supplies. Let's say in the last 20 years, we have come closer and closer to being able to use uh, this technology. Uh, the first thing coming up was the diodes, uh, silicon carbide-based diodes. Already around 2000, it was possible to do this to a, to a reasonable price. But in the last five years, the technology has moved so fast that we see more and more emerging and possible application of white bank app devices. And uh, those white bank of devices, uh, seeing from their uh, potential merits, they are fantastic <laughs> because uh, they can do the work uh, silicon do uh, maybe 10 times faster. In top of that, they are also uh, having uh, much less losses. So it becomes more and more obvious that this is going to be a main trend in the future for the power conversion.
2: We've been hearing about the battle between these two technologies for quite some time now. So Mm. my question is, is it really this battle or is this this something that's made up by the media? Are we part of that media? I guess we are. (laughs) Is this something that we're making up and does the industry really understand what the difference is between them and where their places are or is it competitive?
3: The technology has its merits uh, dependent on the voters level uh, for the moment. Uh, There is uh, no doubt that uh, some kind of development can be done. So let's say uh, the technologies go in both in each direction. So the granular nitrite uh, components, they are most uh, feasible at low voltage, uh, but uh, high current. So that means computers, power supplies, automotive, other applications where where it's interesting. If you take the silicon carbide devices, uh, they have fantastic capability in terms also to go up in voltages about one kilovolt, and uh, in, in in that respect gallium nitride is not so easy to do yet uh, at a high a high level of uh, reliability so in in this area uh, one kilowatt and uh, below let's say four, 500 volt 400 volt you can call it a battle but we can also see uh, an area of possibilities because seen from a A supplier of products it's a fantastic opportunity that now you have two different technologies to select between (laughs) when when you are going to come with products in uh, in in an area where a lot of application is so 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 seeing from the application perspective uh, it's a battle yes but it's also a possibility because instead of just having one technology option you have two technology options and uh, you you can look at what fits your best in in terms of uh, manufacturing
1: at this point then, Freddie, what are the major technical challenges, if any, uh, that are left in bringing these more into the mainstream?
3: Yeah, a lot of things are uh, bottom line uh, driven by cost. Uh, uh, so if the technology is uh, still relatively expensive to uh, manufacture, then you can say that uh, you have to come up with, uh, with better uh, ideas about uh, lowering the cost of manufacturing of Of those uh, devices and uh, this is still kind of barrier for the technology they are being working a lot in terms of uh, let's say making the manufacturing more streamlined uh, larger scale Uh, one of the issues uh, is that the yield is not high enough uh, in order to uh, come further down in price and so on so there are a number of uh, important steps uh, to be taken in order to to make it uh, cost competitive. And uh, then it is always so with uh, with new technology, uh, that uh, new technology is evolving year by year. Then there are also larger uncertainties. If we look from from the market uh, perspective, not as the end user like you and me, when we, we buy a computer or we buy a chart or we buy a, a car or so on. But for sure, for the for the manufacturer and the the use of uh, the components to put into the products, they want to be sure that they have a technology which is mature enough in order to put it into let's say mainstream uh, products, and uh, they are not having a risk of uh, certain unexpected failures if you do not have enough uh, experience with the components.
1: So, from a developer standpoint, how are the advent of these technologies into their designs, hopefully increasingly over the next several years, going to change the way they work? Are there, you know, are new tools going to be needed? Are new topologies going to be needed? How, you know, does your board la- layout change? What's different for the designer?
3: I have to say we 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 have to really re-engineer all the design. So so there are a lot of things uh, to be looked at. The advantage uh, immediately is that the losses are just uh, let's say for the same uh, power uh, one tenth. Also uh, you wow. and maybe one one fifth or or something like that. So that means that now you are dealing with much more power in the same volume or with, with the same weight so the cooling will be reduced. That's of course an advantage but that also means that you really make things uh, much smaller. And uh, you have to have connection into the box and you have to have connection out of the box and typically they are not changed. So the area you need to do things around will be much much uh, smaller and what you further see is that uh, you are operating with way, way high chains of voltage, way, way high change of current, and we all know if they are way high then we also have a high risk of interference, of noise, so that means your circuit layout, your integration have to be able to really ensure that you do not have a very good radio amplifier or something like that so the design in order to be able to deal with such fast uh, devices uh, will also be uh, be completely uh, different so the designers the power electronic designers i would say they really have to step up in terms of to do a very good uh, circuit layout but if they are able to do that Then they also get fantastic equipment out of it with spec marks, which we have dreamed about for a long time. And the capacity per volume, the capacity per weight is really looking fantastic on on many different demonstrators we have around the world.
1: Are there even power analysis tools right now that are available on the market that are optimized or extremely efficient in dealing with these types of devices?
3: Well, I would say the, uh, the models, in order to do simulation of uh, the components, they are available, such things have been done, so they are also implemented in SPICE-like uh, tools or, or something like that. In terms of uh, simulating, let's say, quite advanced structures, also uh, the, the, the cooling uh, system and how the, the heat is distributed in a, in a package or something like that, they are also uh, relatively good uh, tools which we can transfer from the silicon uh, domain into the uh, white bank uh, domain but there is no doubt as we are switching much faster especially the emi is is an issue of uh, concern and we have to study this much more carefully compared to what we needed to do in terms of doing the silicon products
1: what do you think that these technologies mean for applications that have been on the brink forever. You know, we've been talking about widespread renewables forever. We've been talking mm-hmm. about electric vehicles forever. Does, is this sort of the tipping point where we now go, okay, we can do this much more efficiently at scale with at cost points that are reasonable to really flood the market with, with clean energy?
3: Yeah, and so that, that is what we, uh, let's say the transportation is a commodity. I, I would say that transportation is first now really becoming electrified, right? And this is now in, in some countries going with a very rapid pace. For example, uh, one of the manufacturers of the electrical cars, as a full electric cars, who are applying silicon carbide in their in, in their in the drivetrain. And there are also others who are looking at it. So uh, there are predictions that by introducing silicon carbide technology in uh, electrical vehicles, the range would maybe be increased by five to 10%. And if you have such kinds of benefits, that uh, will obviously be uh, be an advantage. In terms of uh, renewable generation, which, which is also a very booming application, I would say that uh, we have two main uh, forces. One is uh, photovoltaics, right? And uh, the second one is uh, wind. The wind, this is really, uh, Large power where we see the absolute dominated market and i would say it will take some years before we will see the silicon carbide technology be applied for this very large scale power as a standard in the product but we will see some first iterations on applying that in the near future if we look at the photovoltaic area, there we have different groups or classes of power. So we have the one inverter per panel, right? This is the module integrated uh, inverters. There I would expect to see relatively fast gallium nitride to be a part of some of the products. Then we have string inverters up to 10, 20 kilowatt and so on. We could also uh, see silicon carbide, maybe gallium nitride, being a part of that. While for the central inverters, where we are in the, in the megawatt, it's a little bit aligned with the, uh, uh, with the technology we have in, in the wind turbines. That being said, the diodes which are applied also in, uh, for example, in wind turbines could be silicon carbide because this is really a commodity uh, in terms of uh, technology. And uh, it's relatively cheap, so a combination of silicon-based transistor and uh, silicon-carbide-based diodes uh, uh, will be seen and can be seen in, in different applications.
1: So five to ten years from now, what do you think the market looks like? Is, are we completely dominated by wide band gaps?
3: I love. When no, we put people on the spot uh, right not uh, 100% for sure, uh, but there's no doubt that the wide band gap devices, they look into a two-digit growth per year. So in 10 years, a little bit dependent on the electrical uh, vehicles, because this is a so big market. If that's coming, this is <laughs> much much bigger than what we see today of the total electronics market. So uh, if that is coming, then it will be a little bit dependent on what is developed for that. But uh, no doubt 20, 25, 30 uh, percent of all power electronic products that will be based on white bank devices in 10 years.
0: Thanks for listening to this edition of Embedded Insiders. For daily industry news, videos, and podcasts, visit our website, EmbeddedComputing.com.